Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Bean Dad. The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to It Could Happen Here. I am Robert Evans, uh, and this is a podcast about things falling apart and sometimes how to put them all together. And, you know, today we're actually going to be talking more about the latter, which I know is revolutionary for us. Uh, We're usually just kind of like getting way more into the Doomer stuff. But I think there's been more than enough of that, particularly in the wake of several horrific Supreme Court rulings that I don't really need feel the need to go into detail on. But one of the things that has happened in the wake of these rulings is this like kind of liberal reaction to the fact that to the fact and they're right to be angry about the fact that they're being essentially governed by a small minority of people who are very densely geographically located in the South. That is where like uh, the bulk of the support for the the hard rights policies comes from. Um, and it's led to this like fuck Texas, fuck Florida, fuck uh, these these quote unquote like red states, these regressive states, which is this deeply problematic for a number of reasons, including the fact that, you know, if you just want to look at it in terms of party politics, uh, there were more people who voted for a Democrat in Texas in the 2020 election than live in the, either the state of Oregon or Washington. Um, 
These are densely populated places with a tremendous amount of people who are people of color, who are trans, who are, you know, in some way threatened by this weird Christo-fascist bullshit that is increasingly clamping down on the country. And so today I wanted to talk with some folks who live in and around the Dallas, Texas, what we, we call the DFW area, Dallas-Fort Worth, um, and who have lately been organizing to kind of both confront this uh, this rising Christo-fascist, like the street aggression portion of it, and to provide support and defense um, for people who are, are being victimized by it. Uh, so I'd like to welcome some representatives of the Elm Fork John Brown Gun Club to the show. Hey, y'all. Hello. Hi. Yeah. Do you want to kind of introduce yourselves to, to start, however you'd like to be known on the show? Yeah. Um, I'm Satan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm Bubble. Satan and Bubble. Um, and... I mean, how long have y'all been like doing? Because there's there's two specific things that kind of I don't know. I became aware of y'all, and and we had some brief interactions, or I had some brief interactions with some of your folks in in 2021 during the the snow thing that that destroyed everything. Um, and so I've been kind of watching y'all's socials ever since. And there were a couple of things recently that struck me as very. Uh, worth discussing actions that you y'all were a part of. One of them was there's a neighborhood in Dallas called Oak Lawn that is kind of colloquially known as the gayborhood. It is like the um the gay neighborhood in Dallas obviously. And so it's a place that, you know, even before kind of things got a little easier after 20, you know, 14, 2015, um it was kind of a safe uh place and a little bit like of a of a of a fortress for like people who are not you know, straight and cisgender, which is, and kind of are, you know, for for so an idea of how aspects of the DFW area can be, the town I grew up in Plano had a condoms to go move in. And within like two nights of it setting up shop in Plano, somebody fired a nine millimeter handgun through the window. Like it's not a, it's a place where it could be difficult. Um, and so obviously repression and kind of violence and fears of vigilante violence um, from folks who are queer has is is understandably amped up in the wake of everything that's been happening. And y'all carried out an action where a, a sizable group of leftists marched armed through the gayborhood. Um the one of the there were a couple of different chants that that I was hearing. One of them was um about bashing back, something like that. You want to talk a little bit about like that action and what actually went down? Um sure. So at the beginning of Pride Month, we had a large group of fascists come to the neighborhood. Um, you know, they were shouting groomer. They were telling us the fist of Christ is coming down on you soon. And, um, you know, making really out there threats. So we discussed, um, you know, what we could do to be proactive to make sure that doesn't happen again. Um, and we ended up getting together some groups who were interested in an armed demonstration, which even here in Texas is not something you see too often. Um, and we decided to march through the neighborhood. You know, um, I would say a majority of the people that we know are uh, LGBT and uh, it's our neighborhood. So, you know, we put on this demonstration there and it was you know, kind of incredible. We got some looks, but we also got a lot of support. Um, we had a lot of great uh, chants, um, you know, bottoms, tops, we all hate cops. There and, we go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> These gays bash back. 
Yeah, that was the that was the one that was in the video. Um, and so, what was the? Uh, I, I'm interested in kind of because I, I think this is the kind of thing that is potentially very useful. We we have seen one of the things that I have personally observed and that has been observed by a number of folks is that when these kind of right wing mobs who primarily want people who cannot defend themselves, who don't have the numbers to defend themselves, they, they want to like beat the shit out of people in a gang, right? Like that's that's the, the Proud Boy thing. That's the Patriot Prayer thing. That's all these weird little groups, primarily what they want to do. They don't want a fair fight. And when they are confronted with organized people on the left who are armed, that tends to scare the shit out of them. And if I'm not mistaken, during that day where you had those Christian fascists kind of coming after um, – that queer family event, like one of the one of the live streams that one of the right wingers had, people were some of them were like commenting on the fact that there were people leftists open carrying and like how unsettling they found that. Um, so I'm interested in kind of how the idea to we're going to do this, have this kind of a march, you know, through this neighborhood, we're going to make sort of a show of force, how that idea kind of came together. And then what logistically did y'all like feel the need to set up like I, I'm going to guess it wasn't as simple as like, hey, everybody with a gun, like come come meet here and we're, we're going to have us a walk. Um, so I'm interested in kind of what the logistics are, because I think this is the kind of thing that people other people are going to want, like find useful to do like statements of we are here. We have the tools to defend ourselves and we're not going to just passively let you run through our neighborhoods fucking with us. Um. I think logistically, one of the big things was just making sure that, you know, everyone who was carrying was carrying properly. And then also to protect our own selves, making sure that whoever was carrying was also protecting our identity by wearing essentially full black block, um, which that in itself sends a message. You know, a bunch of queer people marching through the streets of Dallas in full black block with guns. Um, sends a message like, we're not going to take your shit. We're done. You know, you're not going to mess with our bodily autonomy. Um, that march happened, we had planned it to be on that day originally, and that happened to be the day that Roe v. Wade was overturned. Um, and it essentially just evolved that morning to a more intersectional body auto bodily autonomy march. But really, logistically, it was mostly about protecting ourselves and making sure that people who weren't carrying the firearms were also protected from our firearms. Yeah, I, I want to dive into that a little bit because that's such an important aspect of it is the ensuring. Say, I have seen a lot of, of marches and I, I will be honest, I've seen a lot of people being armed on on both sides politically who have done things with guns that I would consider reckless. Probably the top moment in my mind is during a big march in Portland, somebody leaned over and a Glock fell out of the front pouch of their hoodie that they were just had loose in there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously it is not as, it should not be as simple as like, you know, load up on guns and bring your friends, so to speak. Um, how do you attempt to ensure like how like how do you actually go about handling the safety aspect is it like are you appointing essentially kind of like range officers before the march we're keeping an eye on shit like what does that actually look like um i want to i want to give two examples for the march we did in the neighborhood um it was different in that it wasn't publicly announced where um it mm -hmm. was going to be so it was kind of a by invitation only uh demonstration so we knew Pretty much everybody that was coming except for people in the neighborhood who 
kind of joined ad hoc. Um, so that's one way that we've done things. When we do more of like uh, protest security for other actions, um, you know, there are different people who will feel motivated to bring um, arms. And usually they know what they're doing pretty well in the couple of instances where someone is being unsafe. Um, you know, one of us will just go over there and talk to them. You know, like, hey, you, you, you really need a sling uh, for this or, you know, don't don't be uh, pointing it in any way at a building. Um, just little tips like that to, you know, resolve the behavior. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market. 
as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So when it actually comes to, like, because uh, one of the things, like, whenever you have sort of a gathering like this is is de-escalation and even within people within the march, potentially, like, dispute uh, resolution and that sort of thing. What was the how, – how did you kind of organize for that? Like, what was the planning on that end like? Um, I think that's a really important question. One of the first things that we decided pretty early on is that uh, we are not there to police any protesters. So – you know, if someone is is doing something illegal uh, and no at no point will we, you know, tell them to stop or try to make them stop. We may move away from the area or something like that, mm-hmm. but we're not there to police our people at all. When it comes to like counters coming up and antagonizing, uh, the main thing we do is try to put ourselves between them and any people they're targeting. Um, and, you know, we have cameras, we have less than lethal, we have different tools to try to de-escalate that. Yeah, and so when it comes to like uh uh I guess training on that end is did you kind did you have any sort of like um um infrastructure, human infrastructure whatnot set up prior to this to like make sure people who were like doing de-escalation were folks that you knew, you know, had some level of understanding of it or or folks that you could trust. Like how was the actual how do you actually because I mean, it strikes me that there is a great deal of like trust that's necessary to put together something like this. To be able to meet up with folks and and like march armed together requires probably a little bit more in in the way of of, of trust than you know just showing up at a protest um, it, that's kind of more conventional. Um, was there sort of some in, any kind of like I don't know system or or like yeah training or whatnot that y'all had for specifically? like how to behave, how to de-escalate, all that kind of stuff? Or was it just like folks that kind of you knew from from prior events were good at that sort of thing? I mean, as far as our group goes, um, I can speak for myself personally and say that I trust each one of our people with my life. Um, and I think because of that and because we were really the ones putting it on, like we knew that if something were to go down, one of us would get in the middle of it. And we all trust each other. I think that in any sort of organizing environment, trusting trusting the people that you're working with 100% is one of the most vital things that you can do because they're going to be the ones beside you when a proud boy rolls up. And you want the person beside you to be someone that you can trust. Um, and we do that. We do have, you know, we, we do practice and we do train together. And... Um, we also have fun together, and having that certain level of trust means the world when you're putting yourself out there in that way. And how long of the folks that are kind of like you're, you're, we're most affiliated with, like making this happen? How long have y'all been sort of organizing and, and doing stuff together? I would say most of us met since 2020. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of us met in organizing different facilities during 2020 um, after the George. Floyd protests and then 
through. Yeah. Just the boom in mutual aid that happened in DFW after that, um, whether it was through homeless outreach or, um, you know, bail bonds or however we met each other. It was mostly through that mutual aid community and getting out in the, our communities and organizing ourselves and trying to find like-minded people who wanted to see the same change happen. Now, um, I think one of the uh, one of the things that's been on my mind a lot lately, and that that y'all particularly bring up, is the challenges of organizing in parts of the country where not just you know the police who are always pretty regressive, but the entire legal structure is is set up to, as Florida has increasingly done, as a number of states have done, like punish protests, penalize activism, make things more dangerous for 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 people who are like going out there in public in addition to doing things to try and criminalize you know people who are 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 not uh straight you know white christians um so when you look at like kind of the challenges of organizing in a place where it's more dangerous and obviously it's it's not particularly safe to be organizing against you know the LAPD but the court system in California is broadly speaking less stacked against you um so if you had advice to give to people who had, don't have this group of friends and people they've been organizing with for a couple of years already, but they want to have that. They want to build that in their community. Where would you suggest they start? Um, I always tell people that it starts by showing up um, to all kinds of events, you know, supporting a broad range of groups. And, you know, if you're at the protests, if you are at the uh, feedings, the distributions, um, you're going to meet people and you're going to build trust, um, mutual trust there um, so that, you know, when you want to start a project, you want to start a group, you'll have those people that know you. Um, it is very dangerous. Uh, I think it's always important to tell people to watch your OPSEC, you know, don't be resharing all kinds of activist stuff with your personal profile that has your name and your birthday and all of that. But yeah, it really goes to meeting people in person, I think. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's such a difficult part of it, because I think for a lot of people, particularly who maybe are living in rural areas, who are living um, kind of outside of places that have well-formed protest communities, social media and the Internet is is a lifeline for them. And often in a lot of cases, like how they came to a lot of the political beliefs and a desire to do something. Um, but you're right, like you can't you you, you have to actually get like face to face on the ground with people to actually build the kind of relationships that can lead to the sort of activism that y'all are doing. And that's, that is a tough needle for a lot of people to thread, I think. And, you know, in those more rural communities, if there's not already those systems in place, you know, set up a monthly meal distribution with the local homeless shelter or the local homeless camp. And if you, you know, can get a few friends, more people will show up and you can build that community yourself, even when, where it's not existing already. Um, it's more about just finding those like-minded individuals that are already existing in your community and getting to know your neighbors. Yeah. And to trust your neighbors. I think that's a great, as far as a plan of action goes, as good as you can get for at least starting down that road. Um, before we kind of move on from this specific action, I did want to talk a little bit about the conversations you had both with like people who lived in Oak Lawn and also with, um, you know, passersby. I'm wondering like, um, did you have any that particularly surprised you or that particularly stick out to you right now? 
I personally was a little bit more surprised with the amount of support that we received. Um, just because while Oak Lawn is the neighborhood, it is a generally more blue liberal yes. part of town, uh, very anti-gun typically. Yeah, um, very, yeah. And to see, you know, people sitting on the patios of the bars cheering for us while we were walking by, um, especially as someone who has been, you know, grown up in that area, it, it meant a lot. You know, it, it really shows almost like the cultural shift that we're going as far as leftist politics go, if people are going to be supportive of us. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear. Now, I, I, I were there, did you have any kind of interactions with sort of, I don't know, people who were who were more conservative or more on the on the center right side of things? I think um, we had a couple of people um, who were yeah. kind of filming and frowning. It's always hard to tell. Yeah. yeah, in that case, but no one really said anything to us. That's interesting. I mean, I, other cops. Yeah, and now that was that. What that kind of brings me to the next topic, which is how 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 did Dallas how did DPD handle this? Um, even hardly out of our cars. But yeah, we had multiple police cars surrounding us while we were just unloading. Um, they were constantly trying to guess where we were going with the march. Um, by cutting off streets and trying to, like, escort us and, like, you know, blocking traffic and things like that. But uh, but we were there less than five minutes before, I would say, at least four police cars were surrounding us, asking us questions. They were pulling out their guns like we were a threat. Jeez. Um... Well, I mean, yeah, that's I, that doesn't surprise me. Um, did you have any kind of like direct? Is uh, did they send like the PIOs up to try and you know talk with organizers or whatever? Um, so they did right at the beginning, and I think that interaction yeah. went really well because um, they approached us as we were getting ready, and they said, you know, what group is this? Who's in charge? Who's who's leading? What are your plans? And you know. Every single person who was there was disciplined enough to either say nothing or say no plans. There's no group. There's no leaders. And, you know, after that, they kept their distance. They did not really interfere more. Yeah. I mean, that that is one of those things um, that... Uh, Police, I don't know. I, I I've always found it useful to to when you are having when you have to have an interaction with a police officer and um, sometimes it is unavoidable. Like you need to kind of focus on like what are the things that they need to hear for this interaction to like end. Um, and end you know not in them getting violent. Um, and I think it sounds like yeah you you y'all handled it perfectly. Like that that was the right way for everyone to react like you were <laughs> it is texas like it's not like it is at all illegal to walk around with guns <laughs> um so yeah i mean that that sounds that sounds again I, i'm impressed by kind of both the 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 boldness of the action but also the the discipline that that was required to actually that was required like from the ground up right not not because like the there was some sort of like vanguard leadership exerting force downward in order to actually make this work safely and in a way that that left hopefully and it seems like this is the case people who live in the area feeling broadly speaking pretty good about it i would say that you know since the march in particular just 
in DFW in its entirety, the support that we have received has been almost overwhelming. Um, you know, people now recognize the people in Black Block as being safe and they're going to help us. If I need something, I can go to them. And that's the whole purpose of community defense is having, like, my goal would be to have everyone see that person. Now, the other thing I would wonder, because it's I, you know, I've spent a lot of time at Black Block protests, but generally in Portland, Oregon, where a hot day is like 80 degrees. Um, Y'all are in fucking DFW. Um, those those summers are no joke. And wearing the gear that y'all are wearing is is um, a potentially dangerous thing. Right. Like, was there was there was it kind of individual or left up to affinity groups to, like, figure out hydration and stuff? Or did you have people who are kind of watching folks and reminding them and like trying to ensure that like that part of it was handled? Because that does strike me as a specific risk in this case. Most of us do have um, at least minor street medic training, um, as well as our own hydration kits. And we all carry extra electrolytes and things like that for people who may not be part of our group who may also need assistance. Um, that's a big part of it here in Texas. Is that's, that's the main risk with protesting mm -hmm. in the summer is dehydration, heat exhaustion, heat stroke. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we do recommend that the who are in black block where you know moisture wicking loose layers <laughs> yeah 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 merino is your friend if you can get it yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> um but you know we all of us are you know at least trained enough to recognize those symptoms we make scenes that we can pass out to people um about how to protest safely in the summer in the heat specifically that's great so much more dangerous now, one of the things I've been seeing recently, and this is, I'm guessing, from a more recent march, was the the, the photo going around that's kind of kind of viral uh, on right wing social media. Of um, it's a black and white photo. There's uh, an individual um, with a plate carrier and an AR, um, and another individual with um, like a chest rig and what I think is a Beretta um, carbine. Um, and uh, both of them are, are at a reproductive rights march, um, and there's a, a mix of really interesting reactions from the right, like on this. Um, and I'm, I'm interested in kind of, yeah, your thoughts there. Yeah. So it's, it's been really weird. Um, we try to track whatever's being posted about us. Um, sometimes it can give us Intel on people who might want to target us. Um, but we've been noticing, you know, it's like a solid third of right wing comments are kind of broadly supportive. I think it really throws them for a loop. Um, you know, we we've even seen people saying uh, actually bodily autonomy is a lot like gun rights and things like that. So hey. that's been <laughs> it's been really weird. I think yeah. um, being armed might kind of humanize us for some of those people in a way. It's, it's a, been a weird thing. I have thought a couple of times that I mean, a number of times I talked about this on the first season of It Could Happen Here, I think that there is some like potential to bridge some divides there with kind of the existence of, of, a, of an increasingly prominent left-wing gun culture. I know one of the comments I saw was somebody like going through the gear display and being like, actually, no, they're, they're reasonably well set up. And like, everything seems like this is, this is exactly how you'd, you know, want to have it done. And just people being like actually appreciative. And I guess maybe there's a degree to which, like, if you're, if you're in that community from a right-wing side, but not like a straight up fascist side, Maybe there's a potential for like more commonality. And like you said, the idea that like, oh, maybe some of them 
will actually broaden their support for reproductive rights, um, you know, or at least consider it. You know, I don't know. That that doesn't strike me as like a negative move, and it, it um, is particularly uh, in a place like Texas, you have to try to at least um, have some sort of common ground with people who are are more on the right wing side of things because there's so damn many of them. Yeah. So I think um, it's one of those cases where when ideological where when ideology gets atomized to just like guns good, you know, yeah. that is like a core belief for some people um, yep. that can draw them to being supportive of pro-choice marches in a, in a weird way. It's, it's kind of a pretty specific kind of brain worms, but uh, we've yeah. been seeing it a lot. Yeah. I wouldn't like call it necessarily a positive, like it's a, it's an aspect of things that are negative, but it's something that also can be, like useful and and potentially positive like even though if you get into what's leading someone to like oh i re i re-examined my beliefs on reproductive rights because i saw some people marching with guns that's not like a sign of of a, a series of thought process that i think is like wildly positive but at least somebody maybe came around on something yeah, i mean it's a, it's a step in the right direction yeah it's better than them going the other way <laughs> you know we've been talking about the effects of getting all this right-wing attention. And, uh, you know, in a way, that's what we want. We want to advertise that we have strong community defense. And yeah. on the flip side, yeah. you get all these supportive comments, and hopefully those people don't want to kill me anymore. So it's, yeah. it's just yeah. a net positive, we think. Yeah, you're. I mean, one of the ways in which these kind of protests can increase security for a community like one way is that maybe there are people who will get scared off because they don't want to risk like getting shot. And the other is that maybe some people will re-examine their opinions on that community because it's now more familiar to them because they're probably way too into guns. But <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. 
Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's talk about um, the, the, the there was a specific action um, that kind of the thing that was going around on Twitter was these proud boys trying to get into, I believe it was a library and like a line of parents squaring off with them to like stop them. Um, can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that was in McKinney. Um, it was the day after Roe v. Wade got overturned. And we honestly didn't know what to expect when we got there because it's McKinney. We were like, are we going to be? Yeah very much so outnumbered in this. And when we arrived, there was already about 30 to 40 people who were either parents or friends of the library there in support, and maybe only 15 or 20 people in opposition. Um, so it was you know, a pretty good, welcoming, supportive environment. Um, and about 30 minutes after we got there is when the Proud Boys arrived. And we just really only had to tell two people, hey, they're proud boys. <laughs> and before I, before we could even get over there to, like, block them off ourselves, there were, like, eight to ten soccer moms in their flip-flops, Nike shorts, and handmade signs standing in front of them and blocking them from coming any closer. Um, and, of course, they did get closer as people were leaving the library and the event was ending and things like that. But... It was one of those things where it just organically happened, and it was it was yeah. beautiful in my That's opinion. That's awesome. Like and in, in a place like McKinney, of all places, like I yeah. grew up in North Texas, like McKinney's yeah, yeah, the last yeah. place I would expect <laughs> to find like a soccer mom in Nike shorts, ask like thanking me for bringing my gun to the library. <laughs> it was yeah. amazing. That's that's wonderful to hear. I mean, and I people who are not in the DFW area won't understand this, but like, yeah, I spent a significant chunk of my early life in McKinney, and I would not have expected that reaction there. Um, yeah, 
that's really, really good to hear. And it, it also is, you know, I'm, I'm, I obviously have, have been supportive of a number of tactics to confront fascism, including people showing up in block and stuff and, and protesting or, or, or confronting them physically. But I don't think there's any more durable kind of community self-defense than, than that, than, than a, than a group of people who are just kind of live in an area and around and curious, realizing there's a threat and immediately acting against it. Like that's such a, that's such a powerful thing. Yeah. Saying no, not in my neighborhood. Yeah. And you know, again, like we didn't expect to have that reaction, which made it that much better when we saw it. And, you know, having those people, for the first time in their life, maybe even, come face-to-face directly with fascists probably has a lasting impact on them as well. Like, I hope that they keep going to more events like that and keep going and protecting their community from these people. Now, let me ask you, when you have these kind of interactions with folks, and when you had these specific interactions with those specific folks, is there kind of is there sort of an, an information spreading thing afterwards? Is there like a, Hey, here's who we are and like where you can find out more about us. Um, like kind of attempts to like, let people know who you are and what you're doing and how they can, you know, follow you and, and whatnot. Like, is that a, uh, is that a, is that a, a part of the activism or was it more just like we're showing up to kind of provide a barrier for these people? And like, that's not, this is not the time or place for that. It's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Uh A lot of these actions we are invited to. Mm -hmm. Um, We have kind of made it a point to be known as we are here to help. Um, So a lot of times we will get invited or people will send us an event and we will, we do usually try to get in touch with whoever's organizing the event to make sure that they are comfortable with us either open carrying or what they prefer to concealed carry and things like that Um, because it is, still necessary to be polite yeah (laughs) um but then also when we do we always meet people at these actions who are wanting to get more involved than just that one time and we do have ways for them to get involved in their community and learn from us now obviously dallas is um its nickname for a long time has been the city of hate um and it is a place that is, I mean, the city itself is fairly blue, but there is, I mean, even within the Dallas area proper, a tremendous amount of people who are like extremely conservative, obviously. I mean, we've, I don't want to be harping on this too much, but is there a degree to which you're concerned about like attempts at, at infiltration and whatnot or attempts to, yeah, like kind of like, you know, to do sort of the, the fascist equivalent of what a lot of anti-fascists do with right-wing groups? There is a lot of concern about that. Um, we just, you know, we do the best we can. We think we've done a pretty good job already. Clearly. Yeah. Very careful with, um, you know, who we're, who we're in contact with, who we're working with. Um, we've had to, you know, stop working with abusers a few times. That is a tough one. We don't expand nearly as much as we could. Yeah. Uh, given all the people who want to be part of this particular group. Uh, we believe more in, you know, many strong groups and uh, try to help people do that. Um, but, yeah, it's a tough struggle. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's an interesting because I think maybe the a better question for me to ask is is not like, how do you avoid that? But how do you avoid like because the 
if you look back at the actual history of COINTELPRO, right, and the shit that like Hoover and his his goons were saying to each other, like the goal was not to infiltrate every left wing movement. The goal was to make people be so afraid of infiltration that they weren't able to effectively organize. And so that that is, I guess, kind of the real trick is this. Obviously, there's a degree to which you want to be on your guard. You need to be careful. It's 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 important to be not just ethical, but but like responsible in your OPSEC. But you also can't let like fear of that sort of thing happening just because you're, you know, kind of surrounded in a place like North Texas. You can't let that fear stop you from from trying. Right. I think um, a big part of that is it goes back to the trust thing. Uh you know, we don't really let people into the close folds until they've come to a few actions with us and they've, you know, proven that they're not, you know, spilling the beans all over Twitter and things yeah. like that. You know, um, we know who they are and know what they're about, and then we involve them a little bit more. Um, it's all about building that trust with the people you're working with. It just goes right back to that is, you know, trust is built over time. Um, and the longer we all know each other, the more we trust each other. And then, you know, we are able to have those conversations about welcoming more people in and, um, you know, setting up the processes for that. Now, has, just on a logistical standpoint, the kind of notoriety y'all have, have gained because of some of these actions, has it sort of led to, uh, like, difficulty in terms of we've, we're dealing with, like, so many, much interest, so many people reaching out to us? Like, how do you, how do you actually, like, organize kind of that? Like, how you, how you respond to people when shit goes viral, you know? I, I know how overwhelming that can be. Yeah, that's been pretty new to us. Um, we've been more used to being kind of your local crew that does things no one ever talks about and uh having a larger profile now is a challenge because we do know you know attracting a lot more attention pro you know puts some constraints on us um but i think that goes back to why it's important to have a lot of different groups doing a lot of different stuff um you know you can't just have one uh group uh, doing all the organizing that needs to be done in an area. It's just a bad idea, you know, if a group gets taken out for a variety of reasons, you don't want everything to fall apart. Yeah. So I guess kind of as we come to probably close to the end of this, were there were there things that I didn't get into that you wanted to talk to about what y'all are doing and, and kind of what you want other people to know, particularly folks who, I don't know, we're in, in Louisville or in, you know, fucking Idabel, Oklahoma, and um, kind of want to feel, want to build um, or at least help to help to protect their community in a place that um, there's additional challenges in doing so. Yeah, um, I've seen that uh, recurring events, no matter what it is, you know, book club, distribution, if there's a place that people can find you regularly, that's a great way to have the kind of people you want to meet, you know, just, just walk up and talk to you. Um, for me, what, you know, watching your OPSEC and also compartmentalizing your information. Like if I don't need to know something, I don't want to know it. Um, and that's a good way to stay safe while also, you know, being able to organize and take action because like you yeah. said earlier, it's the most important thing is the will to do something. If you're just, you know, the safest thing you can do is stay in your basement, but uh, then no one will do anything. Yeah. 
Exactly right. Um, was there anything else either of y'all wanted to get into? I guess I also want to plug passing on training. So whatever skills you have, we've taught um, medical stuff, how to do an oil change, um, how to fire gun stuff, martial arts, you know, unarmed fighting is also important. Um, share knowledge with each other, you know, make each other more powerful in that way. Yeah. That is, a, 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 I think, a great line to end on. Um, thank you, everybody else. And, um, yeah, um, you can check out. Actually, you guys want to plug your uh, your your socials? Uh, you can follow me at Bubble Break on Twitter. And um, it's kind of out now. But you can uh, follow Anarcho Airsoftist. We have training oh. videos on there. <laughs> Excellent. And then, of course, uh, Elmport John Brown Gun Club on pretty much all platforms except for TikTok currently. <laughs> yeah, I never got into TikTok either. One of these days. All right, everybody. That's the episode. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them and what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.